0: I'm box. not used to talking this much on a Sunday morning, so I'm almost out of breath already. So y'all are going to have to bear with me a little bit here. Got to get back into the groove. You know, when you don't do it every week, it uh, it's kind of different, right? Well, there's something that I've noticed in uh, my years as a youth pastor and then working now as a teacher for a few years, uh, and it's that students often struggle when they have to do something alone. When it's just them it's a little bit harder to do, whether it's giving a presentation in front of the whole class and everyone's staring at them, or maybe it's going to ask that girl out and they've got the butterflies in their stomach, right? Um, A lot of times, if you get to do it with a partner or a wingman, it becomes a little bit easier. Right? We, we have a hard time in life sometimes stepping out on our own, but thankfully when we go through life, we don't do it alone. God is with us and his power is running through us through the Holy Spirit. And we never have to go it alone. And so today we're going to look at one of those ways that God is with us as we continue our series at the scene. We've been looking at the places in the Old Testament where scholars believe that a pre-incarnate Jesus shows up at the scene. And these are referred to as Christophanies. There's your, uh, your SAT word for the day, Christophanies. These are unique situations where Jesus showed up so that individuals would know that they are not alone in their situation. Today, we're going to look at the life of Jacob a little bit. Jacob was nearing the end of his time with his uncle Laban, and Jacob had been with him for about 20 years. The first 14 years, he worked to earn the right to marry Jacob's two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and there's a whole lot we could talk about there, but we're going to move past that this morning. The last six years, he worked and earned his own flock. So this guy's worked really hard for a really long time. Laban deceived Jacob on several occasions. And if ever there was a toxic family relationship, this one was it, right? I'm sure we, maybe, maybe it's not your family, but I'm sure you've maybe watched some of those reality TV shows and you've seen some toxic relationships, or maybe you hear about it from your coworkers, right? This one takes the cake. This one extended above and beyond. Laban's sons saw how God was prospering Jacob, and so they started grumbling and complaining about him and against him, and it's in that context that we find the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Let's go to Genesis 31 and verse 10. It says, one time during the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the female goats were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up and you will see that only the streaked, speckled and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I've seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready to leave this country and return to the land of your birth. See, Jacob's life was a life that was marked by conflict. He, his very name means uh, deceiver. I mean, when that's following you, there's bound to be a little bit of conflict in your life. And he had conflict with his brother Esau that led him to being part of Laban's household in the first place. And now he spent 20 years of hardship with a deceiver in a toxic relationship. But then God shows up here and says these words. He says, I have seen how Laban has treated you. See, here's the truth this morning is that God is aware of the conflicts in our life. God is aware of what's going on. He sees everything that you are walking through. He knows exactly what that conversation was all about on Friday. He he knows exactly what is going on. Verse 12 says, the angel said, look up and you will see that only the streaks speckled and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. Can I tell you this morning that God is not a hands-off kind of God? You see, I, I've worked for uh, several different bosses throughout the year and and, and had different working type relationships. And I've, I've noticed that there's kind of a spectrum of bosses, right? On one end, you've got the micromanager, right? And they, they are all up in your business. They're making every decision for you. You can't even think, or it feels like you can't breathe without asking for their permission, right? I'm not going to ask for hands for who works for those kind of people. But uh, I think we all know that kind of person, right? And then there's the other end of the spectrum where they tell you what the job is and it's just all freedom, and then they just disappear, which sounds great at first. And then after a while, you wonder if they even know that you still work there. Right? Like, do they, do they have any idea the amount of work that I'm putting in? Do they have any idea the effort and energy that I'm doing? Are they going to give me any resources to get this job done, right? They're, they're so hands-off, they're so out of it that, that they don't have a clue what's going on. But then there's the perfect boss. There's Pastor Russ, wait, he snuck that in my notes. No, there's, there's the perfect boss, right? There's the boss that gives you clear expectations and the resources you need and then lets you do the job. All right? I think we, most of us could agree that that's a good kind of person to work for. And honestly, I think that's kind of the way that God is in our life. God is not a micromanager. God doesn't come in and just do everything for you in your life. He doesn't come in and tell you what kind of cereal to buy and pour it in your bowl and pour the milk in there so that you can eat your breakfast in the morning, right? God is not the micromanager, but he's also not a hands-off God. He also doesn't disappear and say, well, here's my commandments, bye. Right, He, he doesn't just disappear. He is aware of what's going on. He sees every situation that you're walking through. He checks to make sure that you're okay. If you need anything to make it happen, he is there seeing, understanding, caring about what's going on in our life. And the thing that I love, and I said it just a moment ago in prayer, is that God doesn't just see what's going on. He actually does something about what's going on. He's aware and he cares and he moves in our life. Psalm 34 is a Psalm of David. And it's about the time that he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech who sent him away. And it says this, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the, Lord, or for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. See, God is our refuge. God is our ever-present help in every time of need. God sees what you are going through. He didn't just start the world in motion and then walk away from it. He is constantly, consistently involved in our lives. He cares and he responds to our prayers. He shows up in compassion and in power to do something about what we're walking through which leads us to the next thing this morning is that God reaffirms his commitment to those who serve him. He reaffirms his commitment to those who serve him. When we follow after him, he continues to reaffirm that commitment to us. Verse 13 says it this way, "'I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, "'the place where you anointed the pillar of stone "'and made your vow to me. "'Now get ready and leave this country "'and return to the land of your birth. See, Jacob had made a covenant with God at Bethel and God is speaking to him and he's reminding him of that covenant. He's reminding him of that promise that has already been made. And we find that covenant in Genesis twenty-eight twenty. It says that Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a 10th of everything he gives me. See, this wasn't Jacob's first interaction with God. He's promising God, hey, if you protect me and bring me back to my father, I will serve you forever forever. And that's what God reminds him of. He says, It's time to return to the land of your birth. He's reminding him of that covenant and that promise. He's reminding him and reaffirming that commitment. And God does the same thing with us in different seasons of our life, He will, he will remind us of the promises. Honestly, that's what scripture is for us. It's a reminder of the promises of God and that we can dig into God's word and we can find the places where he promised to never leave us or forsake us, where we can find the promises of where he said he would go before us. We can find the promises of where he said he is always with us. And then Jesus continued that example. And one of the last things that he said to his disciples was to let them know that they would have conflict and trouble, but he reaffirmed his commitment in the middle of it. You see, oftentimes it's in the season of our trouble that God reaffirms his commitment because that's the season we need it most, right? It's in those moments where everything seems to be going wrong, that the still small voice of God will come in and though it doesn't make any sense. He will bring that peace and that calm Look at what Jesus said in John 16, 31. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now where you will be scattered. Each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's promising them, he's telling them, things are going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. Nothing that has been happening in our world for the last, I don't know what year marker you wanna put on it. You could say last year, last five years, last 10 years, 100, like you can go all the way back. None of it is a surprise to God. He, he promised us that there are going to be those times in our life. There's going to be those seasons of conflict between countries. There's going to be those times of disease and illness. There's going to be those times where where you're walking through something personal that it feels like nobody else sees. There's going to be times of persecution. See, we're promised that things are going to be hard. And the truth, this truth that Jesus is sharing, it stands in stark contrast to what many Christians or what many people think Christianity is all about, right? So many people think that it's this fairy tale theology that if I follow Jesus, nothing will go wrong. Everything will be perfect. God solves all my problems now. So it's all rainbows and unicorns and I get whatever I ask for whenever I ask for it and my life is perfect. Doesn't that sound like some preaching that you've heard once upon a time? That's a popular thing that's out there. But the truth is actually this. God does solve all my problems, but not necessarily the way that I think he should. The truth is that God does answer all my prayers, but it's not always how I expected it would be or on the timeline that I had in mind. The truth is that we're still in a sinful and fallen world that we still interact every day with people who make bad decisions. And sometimes those bad decisions affect us right? The the truth is also this, that through all of that, through all of the trials, through all of the sorrows, God is with us and he has already overcome the world. The truth is that God wins in the end. The truth is that we don't walk alone. The truth is that we know the end of the story and God is with us. He's aware of our conflicts, and he reaffirms his commitment to us consistently. So maybe this morning you're sitting here like, yeah, I'm good with all that, I understand all that, but what do I do with the conflict that I'm walking through? It's great that God's with me, but what do I do about the problem that I have? Jacob had this tension with his family, with Laban. What did he actually do about it? How do we solve that problem? I can't just do what he did and grab my stuff and leave. I actually have to work through this problem, right? So what is the practical steps? How do we actually walk through that conflict? How do we deal with that coworker who cheated to get the promotion or that family member who lied about us on Facebook, right? How do we deal with those kind of things? That's the question we're gonna to try to answer for the rest of our time this morning is how do we resolve that relational tension? And the first thing is, sounds simple, but it's a lot harder to do is to resolve conflict biblically. Resolve conflict biblically. We saw it just a second ago that we need to, uh, uh, John 16, 31, Jesus asked, do you finally believe the time is coming, indeed is here now, when you will be scattered, each one going on his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth, You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, the first thing is remembering that God is with us and allowing that to help us go to the person that we have the offense with. See, I forgot to put that scripture in here this morning, but scripture tells us to go to the person that we have a problem with. And if we can't get the problem solved there, then we bring a few people of wisdom along with us and we have a discussion about it. And then if that doesn't solve it, then we take it to the church. See, there are steps to this process. And a lot of times we get the process backwards. We like to go to everyone else first, right? We like to go to social media first, and let the person that we have the issue with, we let them find out about it from somebody else, right? We almost gossip about ourselves, right? We we like to use the back channels. See, here's the truth. We're not always going to agree on everything, and that's okay. Unity is not conformity, right? We can be unified as believers, as a church family. We can be unified without agreeing on everything. Right? Pastor Rusty likes some music that I'm kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, why? Why? Right? We don't have to agree on everything. It's okay. It's okay. But the, and we're gonna have differences on a variety of issues. Right? A lot of times it's something bigger than music. But the problem becomes, the issue becomes, when we air out our grievances with a person publicly before we ever go to them privately. How can they fix a problem that they don't know exists? Right? This is, uh, any teachers in the room, I'm sure you've had this, this trouble before, right? Where there, there's a problem that a student has with another student and they never tell that student. You're like, well, how, how are they supposed to fix that for you if you don't let them know that there's something wrong? So we gotta go to that person. We need to do it privately first because there's a lot of things that just don't need to be taken public. There's a lot of things that are just not somebody else's business that could be handled one-on-one, but so often we are afraid of an awkward conversation and we allow that fear of an awkward moment keep us from walking through things biblically. And we end up throwing gas on a fire because someone reacts to something that got posted that could have been solved in a five-minute conversation if we just had an ounce of bravery to go talk to that person. You know what else happens is whenever we share that outside of that private conversation, now all of these other people who heard about it now have an issue with that person. And so even if the problem gets solved, all of these other people still have the issue because their problem didn't get solved. See, if you go confide in someone else and then you never tell them that you actually fixed the issue, they're still holding the offense for you. There's so many issues that arise when we don't deal with things properly. See, we gotta go to the person privately. If they don't change, you take someone else with you. If they still don't change, then you bring it to public knowledge. And the other thing is that this whole process is all about issues of sin. This isn't about addressing leadership decisions or political opinions. This is about people walking in sin. It's not about airing out everything that we disagree with. That's one of the things that, has, um, that I've noticed a lot is people have a very low threshold for what they'll go complain about. I'm sure you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right, we'll complain because we'll complain Walmart didn't open as early as we thought they should. We'll, we'll complain because the, the food took two minutes longer than it should have. I remember when I worked at Chick-fil-A, I got cussed out one time because a guy had to wait five minutes on chicken strips. I'm telling you, we'll complain about a lot of different things. And one of the things like people have gotten so bold, like we'll, we'll call for people to get fired from jobs when we have no idea what's going on. If you don't believe me, go look at uh, NBA Twitter or look at anybody talking about any of the NFL teams and how many coaches they're calling to get fired and how many of this and how many of that when they have no idea what happened behind those closed doors, right? We try to solve things publicly that we know nothing about. If you have an issue with somebody, deal with it. In private, Matthew 5 23. So if you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, God takes this so seriously that He literally says, Stop worshiping me and go fix it. If, if, if there is anybody that has an offense against you or if you have uh, something that you need to deal with between you and another person, God takes it so serious as he would say, stop playing the keyboard, go and fix it and then come back and lead worship. That's how serious this is to God. We've got to resolve conflict biblically. That's the first step. The second step, and this one's hard for me, respond gently. Respond gently. Most of us, I'm not gonna ask for hands again here, but most of us, if we're honest, our first response when somebody gets mad at us is not to be gentle. Oh, if you come at me, I'm coming back at you. I'm, I'm gonna spit fire right back, right? Like we, we, have our, we have our go-tos in our back pocket. Or honestly, if you're like me, you come up with the good ones after the conversation's already over. Man, I wish I'd have said that, right? No respond gently. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The King James Version says a soft answer. You see, so often we let our emotions cause us to respond in the exact way that makes it worse. And the exact way that makes it work, Uh, Donald Stamps writes this, he says, when facing anger and gracious, a a kind and gracious response will encourage understanding, resolution, unity, and peace. On the other hand, harsh words and insensitive responses stir up more anger and hostilities. You probably already have five different examples in your brain right now of moments that illustrate that. Of times when you said something and it escalated what should have been an easy conversation into a screaming match. And I don't know about you, but if you, <laughs> there are those moments where you're screaming and, and you're in the, you're kind of in the battle a little bit and you kind of think for a second, what were we even arguing about? because you're just, you're just feeding off of the emotion so much. You're just feeding off of, off of the, the anger, off of whatever it is. And you're, just, you're in that mode and it becomes all about, I have to win and not about what problem are we trying to solve? But if we would just respond gently in the first place, we wouldn't have to walk down that. See, few, here's the truth. Few things infuriate an irate person more than a person who refuses to stoop to their level. If you Honestly, if you really want to get under somebody's skin, don't play the same game they're playing. I love, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes is from George Bernard Shaw, who famously said, never wrestle with pigs. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> That's what happens when we respond in anger. We both get dirty and they enjoy it more than we did. Right? We don't have to get angry too. We can choose to have a gentle response through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I, I'm not strong enough to do that on my own. It's only through God. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Right response, be, be, be gracious and attractive with your conversation. Yesterday I was sitting at uh, the funeral service for, for Thomas Strickland who passed away this week. And one of the things that was said about Thomas is that he was a gentle giant. He, he was so, he, he was not, um, he was not shy but he was a quiet, quieter guy and he would be calm and, and gentle with the words that he spoke. And I think that's such an example for us that, that the words that we speak need to have that compassion, that graciousness and that kindness to them. So respond gently, it'll solve a lot of your problems. Number three, leave revenge to God. Leave revenge to God. Romans twelve nineteen, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, I don't know what all to say about that scripture. I think it pretty much speaks for itself. Very simply, let God do the God stuff. Let God do the God stuff. That's not our job. It's not our job to make sure that someone else pays for the wrong that they've done. Now it makes for a good TV show. Right? It, makes, it makes for a good movie, but that is not the way that we are called to live. Let God do the God stuff because here's the truth. He's a way better judge than we are. Let God do that. Leviticus 19:18. never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Just let God handle the God stuff. He's way better at it than we are. Number four. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Probably the, the definition of a phrase that is easier said than done. Love your enemies. Matthew five forty three. you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that but you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. You see, to me, this is the hardest one. This is the one where it gets difficult. We, we go to the, uh, to, the first, to the first thing and respond biblically. Just go to the person first. That's not always easy, but most of the time I think I can handle that. right? Respond gently. Now things are getting a little bit harder. Those emotions are hard to control, but with God's help, I think we can make that one work. Leave the revenge to God. Honestly, I'm probably lazy enough that that one just takes care of itself, right? The fact that I don't have to go plan out a revenge, uh, check. I'm good, all right. But now we get to love my enemies. I have to do what? Can we can we settle for the silent treatment, right? Can we can we go with maybe some cold indifference, right? Uh, I can go with those kind of things but to actually love them that sounds impractical. First John 4:19 We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command whoever loves God must also Love his brother. See, what this is really all about is it's an opportunity for a testimony. The way that we love people is our biggest testimony. The way that we treat people, even those who we disagree with, speaks way louder than us getting on a microphone on a a testimony night and sharing about something God did for us. See, if God has really moved in our life, it'll affect the way that we treat people. If God's really moved in our life, it's gonna affect the way that we talk to people. It's gonna affect the way that we love people. Our ability to love is our greatest testimony. The way that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, the way that we love our family, it's all important. But what speaks way louder than any of that is the way that we love our enemies. Loving those who have wronged us, loving those who have sought us harm, who believe and act contrary to scripture, who vote differently than we do, who are from a different country that we hate, who are talking a certain way, who look or even smell a certain way, who are prejudiced against, who we disagree with, who is a person created in the image of Christ. You see, our enemy is still someone who was created in God's image if we're viewing people as our enemy. John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, God showed us what it looks like to love even those who are standing against us. God's love for the whole world resulted in the action of Jesus coming down to die and rise again for our forgiveness and our freedom. See, our actions of love for an enemy may be hard and may be awkward, but it doesn't have to be done alone. God is with us. And if we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will see God do amazing things but that love requires action. That love requires action. Serving people, sending a kind word to people, finding some way to reach out in an action of love. It's hard to do, but through God's power, we can do it. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what your season looks like. I don't know if your struggle is something that is just because we're in a broken world and there's sickness and there's disease and there's conflict. But I think for some here this morning, the the struggle that you're walking through, the season you're in, you can trace it to a particular person. That there's a tension, there's a conflict. In fact, you might be so bold as to use the word that there's a war. this morning, God is saying that you don't have to live in that conflict. If you haven't done so already, it's time to go directly to that person, to respond biblically. It's time to stop responding with more anger and making things worse for yourself. It's time to stop trying to to get revenge on them and planning the ways that you can get back at them. Most difficult of all, it's, it's time to choose to love them. And depending on what that person did to you, That statement may seem ridiculous. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt. You're right, I don't. God does. He's aware of all that you're walking through. He is with you. And loving someone doesn't necessarily mean putting yourself back into harm's way. There can be accountability. There can be boundaries that are set. But love is a shift in our heart towards that person. It says, I want what is best for you. Even though you hurt me, even though we disagree, even though I think you're doing it wrong, I still want what's best for you. This morning, nobody looking around or making you feel awkward this morning, would you just between Yourself, me and God, would you just quietly raise your hand if you would say, I, I have someone that I need to solve this conflict with. I'm not gonna bring you forward this morning. I just wanna know who to pray for this week. Amen, there's one. Is there anybody else who says, I, I have somebody that I need to fix this? you know the struggles that every person is walking through. You know the the hurt that they bear because of someone else's bad decisions. And God, it's only through your strength and through your power that we can forgive and that we can love. So God, I pray that you would, Strengthen us in those ways, God, that we would be prepared to respond in a Christ-like manner in each of those situations. If everyone would stand this morning, we're gonna sing the song, Place of Freedom, one more time. And as the song plays and as we worship, because that's what we've come here to do, right? we come here to worship. And as we worship, if you would say that you have a situation that you, you need God to show up in, you need him to be more than just aware of the situation, you need him to actually intervene with. You. I'm gonna be down here ready to pray with you and believe God for your healing, for provision, for whatever it is that you need God to show up in your life and do. No, it's so much easier said than no. But with God's power inside of us, we can love people the way He's called us to. Dare to be different than the rest of the people around us. The best way to be countercultural is to do what God said to do. When we love people in this way, it's gonna surprise some people, it's gonna shock some people, it might even make some people more mad. When we live this way. I guarantee you, people are going to start asking, Wow, how do you do that? How, how do you respond in that way? I, I'd have gone off on them. They'll start asking you those kind of questions. And then, as scripture says, we can be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. We pray, Blair, a blessing over you. God, we thank you for this church family. I pray that you would bless them and keep them. You would make your face shine out upon them. Be gracious to them. And give them your peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We'll see you Wednesday for a prayer and worship. Make sure to congratulate Kenzie when you see her.